Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And much like a few of the episodes I've done on this podcast, I've been uh, I've contacted a few people who are pretty big uh, YouTube creators, and I've gotten a chance to interview people whose content that's really brought a lot of joy to me. And today is no exception. Who am I speaking to today? Hmm. <laughs> okay, I didn't Sorry. totally throw you off there. I, I apologize. No, 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 no. I was actually, I just muted. I was clearing my throat there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Uh, this is uh, Cecil Trachenberg from uh, Good Bad Flicks. All right. And how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, thanks. All right. And so we'll be speaking with Cecil and all of his work on that you could find on YouTube.com under Good Bad Flicks. So let's start the interview. <laughs> Before the podcast started, like this is pretty much we do this in chronological order. Uh, when and where were you born, sir? Um, I was born in um, I was born in a little place in uh, East Norton, Pennsylvania, which is uh, kind of eh, one of the many suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, what was your first since, like your? Your YouTube channel is dedicated to reviewing movies and stuff like that. Do you remember what your first home video memory was? My first home video memory, uh, I remember one of my uncles, uh, he got a camera. And uh, I think it was like a Christmas present or something. And, of course, was filming everything. Well, he quickly got bored of it. And uh, one of my cousins kind of picked up on it. And he really got into, like doing uh like what he thought was special effects at the time like what he would do is he would film somebody and then would stop the camera and then they would like move you know off frame and then he would start filming again and then we would run the film and oh my god he made him disappear <laughs> so like that was uh you know it was just the early goofy home uh home movie stuff that uh i remember long before i had really any inkling of what uh you know, what movies were aside from just dumb stuff that was on television. Mm -hmm. And do you remember your first movie theater experience? Um, hmm. I, the first one that comes to mind is, uh, my father took me to go see Ghostbusters. I remember, um, me, uh, it was me, my mother, my father, and my sister. Uh, we all went to the movies, and it was like a movie night. And my sister didn't want to go see Ghostbusters, so she went with my mother. I don't remember what they saw, but then me and my dad went to see Ghostbusters, and uh, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and was it like, like you were saying, like you didn't have when you when you were mentioning the story about the home video camera, you didn't have the inkling or what like the foresight or the hindsight where your life would end up and would be was 
seeing Ghostbusters a, a moment that changed your life? Um, no, not not particularly. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, it was a uh, it was a moment when I really just kind of re- like it's just the first thing that came to mind. I remember uh, that was probably when I started thinking about movies a little bit more seriously, I guess you could say. I mean, because then uh, shortly after that, uh, I saw um, I saw um, Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and a lot of other just classic 80s movies. And uh, I think that um, that – I don't know if that necessarily began my love of movies, but uh, that was just – you know, one instance that really uh, I I have a fond memory of. Mm-hmm. And you know, like with all the videos you've done on movies, and you you're obviously very eloquent when it comes to disc- uh, your feelings on movies. Did you follow that up with any like traditional like film studies? Did you go to, like college for filmmaking or film theory or anything like that? Uh, no, actually, <laughs> um, I became an editor. Really, uh, so. Um, I would say, well, I'll kind of give you the, the truncated version. Uh, around 1994, uh, when Clerks came out, uh, that was like a big moment where I was like, wait a minute, here's a guy just like me that's making movies and he's, he's making uh, these like talky movies where it's not necessarily – uh, that there's a whole lot going on, but it's just so interesting because I was like, this is how like me and my friends talk. We all uh, just curse at each other and we're obnoxious and we throw pop culture references around left and right. And so that really, really, really inspired me to like want to get into making movies. And um, I had written a bunch of scripts and had a, a whole bunch of um, things planned. And uh, I, I wanted to make a um a kind of comedy horror film mm-hmm. and i had this great thing and i i had uh like i i saved a ton of money up and i i sold a lot of stuff like as i remember um i had read kevin smith or not kevin smith's book but uh there was a book that he had suggested oh, uh um, rebel without it, a crew no, 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 not Rebel Without a Crew, which I've also read, which is very good. That was the Robert Rodriguez one. Right. Uh, no, he suggested uh, it was a book. Oh God, uh, the it was something. I th- it was something along the lines. Uh, it was a book. It was a. It was like feature filmmaking at used car prices or something, and uh, it was basically a guy talking about how you could make a uh, movie for under thirty thousand dollars. And Kevin had sold uh, like his comic book collection and a bunch of stuff. I think he got like twenty seven grand was like the estimate of where he was able to do that for uh, for the budget for clerks. So I started kind of seeing what I had and what I could sell and what I was willing to part with. And I didn't get nearly that much money. I had a couple of grand, but the thing was, I had a bunch of friends that uh, were willing to essentially work for free. And um, right around that time, I started planning everything, and eh, life kind of got in the way. Um, I ended up getting involved with a girl who took up all my time, and then all my friends decided they didn't want to do the movie anymore, and so I kind of blew that. So after that, um, I got into, uh, like I said, I became an editor, and I worked for... A, a university out here for many years 
where I was editing uh, educational film and educational stuff and uh, a little bit um, on the fringes of the video game industry, mm. but where we were working with like educational uh, software and trying to make like educational fun uh, stuff, which really ended up going nowhere. <laughs> that just as you're saying about the educational uh, like fringes of um, video games, I mean, dealing with that content, it must have been a thrill to go to work every day. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was well. The thing was, the people there were really cool, and um, my boss was a good friend of mine. So that kind of made it all right. Um, but oh god, some of the stuff was incredibly boring. But uh, I did get the opportunity to work with uh, people like David Morse, uh, who was just super cool. Uh, he was. Uh, very famous actor. If you, if you don't know him, look him up on the IMDb and you're, oh, that guy who's done a million movies. Uh, really tall, isn't he? David yes. Morris. Okay. And yeah. he's like, first thing that came to me, he was in The Rock with, uh, he was yes. on the, okay. Yeah. He, uh, he's lives, uh, I don't know where, but somewhere locally in uh, Philadelphia, or at least that's maybe one of his houses. But uh, yeah, super cool guy. We actually, uh, he had uh, done uh, – he worked on John Adams, which was a HBO miniseries, and we brought him in to do some voice work. And I got the opportunity to chat with him for a while, and I totally went fanboy on him. I'm just like, oh, my God, I loved you in the long kiss goodnight. Uh, you know, <laughs> so – and he, he was the nicest guy. That was really cool. But uh, we were supposed to work with uh, Richard Dreyfus, which would have just been incredible. And he actually had a um, – uh, a recording booth at his house because he did so much like voice work. So we were going to go out there and do the work there, but he ended up uh, needing like some back surgery. And so we didn't have the time frame. So that man, that if I geeked out with David Morris, I would have flipped out with him. <laughs> Just be like, what was it like being next to the miniature version of devil's tower in, your, in the house and stuff like that? And just go, Full tilt, whether it be Jaws or Close Encounters, or oh man, I forget that one. He, I think he was nominated for an Oscar for where he had to share that apartment with uh, a mother and her daughter, and they end up falling in love at the end. I forget the name of it though. Oh, I, yeah, you got me on that one too. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna wake up in the middle of the night and sweat like, ah with the title. That one, oh my god, I can't believe. <laughs> uh, moving on, what made you decide to start a YouTube channel in the first place? Uh, well, what happened, um, I had been a fan of the Angry Video Game Nerd, and he's also a local. Uh, well, I think, well, he he used to be in Philly. I think now he moved to Jersey, but um, uh, he, I realized that he was a local guy because at the time, uh, on one of his videos, he had an Opie and Anthony uh, sticker. And Opie and Anthony, uh, they were in New York, but they were broadcasting into Philly. And it was the, you know, the Philly Opie and Anthony sticker. Right. And so I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, this guy's in Philly. That's, you know, that's awesome. And um, I really liked his stuff. And I think I saw his first video um, in, like, 2007, 2008. And I really enjoyed it. It was funny. And then shortly thereafter, uh, there was this wave of internet critics that were just being like really, really, really negative. Mm -hmm. And I 
I'm generally a positive, a positive person. Uh, you know, I mean, I have a negative streak. I, there's things that I don't like, mm. but uh, I prefer, you know, to, to kind of talk about and promote stuff that I do enjoy. So um, I had started talking to some friends of mine and, and they uh, that lived over the country. I have some people that live all over and actually have some friends even in Canada who uh, I don't have the opportunity to talk to as often as I'd like. And I was like, hey, um, would you guys be interested if I started like a video series where I talked about movies that I liked? And they were like, yeah, sure, go for it. So um, I started – like looking into the logistics of it and what I'd need to do. I mean, I already had a good enough computer and I had the editing know-how and uh, it was just a matter of figuring out, you know, what angle I wanted to go with. So I, I wanted to do something that wasn't derivative of anybody else. And I looked out there and the majority of uh, critics were just, you know, take movie, uh, berate movie and yell and scream. And I was like, all right, I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> so, um, I started doing uh, the show. I actually started planning in uh, December of 2009, and my first episode didn't come out until March of 2010. And it was kind of funny because uh, because it had taken me so long to kind of figure everything out. All right, you know, uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to talk about? What's the angle? What's the name of the show going to be? Uh, that my first episode was a Christmas episode. That came out in March. So, <laughs> um, it was a movie called uh, Don't Open Till Christmas. And it was uh, showcasing my love of horror movies. And I kind of went into it a little bit. I talked about the movie. I poked some fun at it. I figured uh, come at it from a humorous perspective. And then, after, uh, and then throw in a little bit of the film's history here and there. And... Uh, my friends saw it and they really enjoyed it. And I just kind of kept going from there. And originally um, I was uploading to a site called Blip TV, mm-hmm. which was at the time <laughs> YouTube's biggest competitor. Now, um, not so much that, uh, you know, YouTube ever really had competition, but this was the the only thing that ever came close to uh trying to uh, do YouTube's model. Now, their thing was they wanted to have more um, continuous shows versus where YouTube is just a lot of everything. So that was kind of their angle. And the other thing, the reason why I went there was because they didn't have as much... uh, I don't want to say they didn't have as many restrictions, but because they weren't as big as YouTube, they didn't have the copyright nonsense that YouTube went over. So it was easier to kind of make a video and put it up there and not have to deal with, uh, you know, oh, great, this video got taken down. Uh, I have to do a, a countersuit against the, this company and prove that this is fair use and all that. So I never had to deal with any of that on Blip. And there were a lot of other video producers that uploaded to Blip and, uh, you know, just used them straight, didn't go to YouTube. And uh, unfortunately, um, you didn't quite get the audience over there. (laughs) So uh, eventually, um, I started – I'm really going on here. Uh, (laughs) I'm all ears, so don't worry. Okay. I didn't want to be boring. Uh, I kept kept doing that for a while, and I started getting um, emails from people who weren't friends of mine who were like, hey, I happened to see your show, and I really liked it, and it was good. And I was like, oh, cool. And uh, 
then after doing it maybe over a little over a year, uh, I decided uh, there was a thing on Blip where you could cross-promote it to YouTube. And uh, they also had a few other things. You know, you could send it to Roku. You could send it to a few other things. And uh, I was like, you know what? Let me, let me just see if I can uh, send this stuff to YouTube. And consequently, I started trying to get it to YouTube. And I was getting um, some copyright nonsense because the, uh, in all the episodes that I did up to that point – uh, I did these really long, unnecessary introductions where it was just uh, – I took a song and I would kind of intercut uh, bits from the movie to it. Mm. And uh, so I was like, okay, well, YouTube is really bad about um, music uh, licensing. So I was like, look, let me just get rid of the intros altogether. So then I started with episode 37. Um, I had started uploading um, – New episodes just with uh, – I bought some stock music from one of those stock music houses, did a right. little 18-, 30-second introduction, and then went into the episode. So that's why a lot of people are like, you know, how come your first 36 episodes aren't on YouTube? It's like, well, because they all had these really long um, intros where I was using like AHA – and I think like Black Sabbath and a few other bands, it was just like I never was able to put them up on YouTube because they would get flagged. Right. So when I started putting it up, stuff up on YouTube, that's when stuff really started blowing up, where I started seeing a lot more of an audience growing and people that actually enjoyed it. And that was when I thought, you know, hey, I could maybe do something with this beyond just uh, letting my friends watch. Mm-hmm. And where did the uh, name itself, Good Bad Flicks, come from? Where, where the, I guess, say, inspiration came from that? Um, well, it came from a lot of Google searches because uh, I sat down one night with a pen and paper and I started kind of spitballing ideas. And I'd write them down and I would look and see, oh, nope, all right, that already ex- exists. All right, that already exists. All right, that guy, you know, ugh. <laughs> I went through just so many names, so many different ideas. And then finally, um, what I thought about was uh, the name Good Bad Flicks, it's kind of a dual meaning, I guess you could say. Unfortunately, it kind of got stuck into one meeting, but I always try to tell people, I'm like, no, it really has two meanings. Um, the initial thing is the uh, what a lot of people think it's it's movies that are so bad they're good. Mm-hmm. And really, um, I kind of wanted to focus on more along the lines of um, movies that were either not as popular or misunderstood or uh, just generally disliked. But you know, here's what happened behind the scenes: why the movie you know really is good. Like for example, um, the Blair Witch Project Two. Like the the core movie there is very good, but it was meddled with by the studio, right. and they ended up re-editing the movie and kind of making it into the movie that it, that most people know. So I was I was putting it out there that it's like you know yes there are some movies that I talk about that are the quote unquote so bad they're good, but really I wanted to promote more movies that are thought of that are bad but are actually good. And once, like you, like you had started linking, like the episode thirty-seven onward, 
and you started to develop a following. Like, how did your family react to it? Like, you were starting to have a following based upon this work. Um, my wife's been very supportive. Uh, she's probably my number one fan over this whole thing. Uh, she's try, you know, she watches all my episodes except for the ones of movies that uh, she hasn't seen yet. So then it's like, you know, oh, you, you talked about you know such and such a movie. I haven't seen that yet. And then shortly thereafter, we watch it, and she's uh, and then she watches the episode because she doesn't like to uh, see the ones that because uh, I kind of do. Uh, certain episodes I do a little bit of spoilerish stuff and she likes to like not be spoiled. Um, but so she's always been supportive. Um, my, my sister has been very supportive. Uh, my parents, they still have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't quite understand. They're like the internet is, that's the thing where it like for, for my mother, it's that thing that she plays bejeweled on. (laughs) And for my father, he like just goes on, uh, like uh, Craigslist and like looks for bargains and stuff. Right. <laughs> That's the extent of their like internet, no- you know, computer knowledge really. So they're very, they, they, uh, they would like to be supportive. They're like, you know, we're really proud of what you do. We just don't really understand it. <laughs> uh, like I understand. It was funny. Cause like I was telling my dad, like, like, what was it? Like my desktop's in the basement right now. And my sister's old room is being painted. And he's like, all right, I got, I'm taking the paint, like the uh, painter's tape off tonight. I'm like, well, I had this podcast interview at at eight. He's like, all right. I'm like, (laughs) thanks dad. Love the support. He's like, okay. And I'm like, ah, like, like I'm never going to win here. (laughs) Um, um, when you first started doing this more and more often, um, was it hard to make time to develop, uh, I mean, hard time to dedicate time to your channel? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a matter of really making the time, um, because like, you know, I, at the time I was still working a full-time job and, uh, so I would, you know, get up, go to work, come home, uh, you know, try to spend some time with, uh, with my wife and then, uh, would spend, you know, the evenings working on this. And thankfully, one of the nice things was um, my job, um, I was the first one there in the morning. And nobody else really rolled in for about another, like, hour or two, sometimes three. So a lot of times I'd be in the, be in the office uh, by myself until, like, you know, I'd get there around 7.30. And sometimes I wouldn't see anybody until, like, 10, 11 o'clock. So it was really nice on those nights where... I was staying up all night editing or working on something or, or putting something together. And then the next morning I came in and I would just be completely worthless because I was so tired. So coming in that early, it gave me time to have some coffee and to, um, to surf the internet and whatnot and, you know, look like I'm working, but really not doing any actual work (laughs) and uh that really was was nice so that uh you know when people did start to finally file in you know they would be coming in and they're just kind of getting their day going and my day is already kind of gone and i'm already up to speed and then you know i'd have something going on in the background oh well now i'm editing uh you know this uh module number three for uh such and such and you know uh you know math class or whatever (laughs) oh look like i was doing something right um, what was your process, um, 
um, constructing your reviews and has that process changed from when you started to now? Yeah. Uh, originally, um, when I started doing these, I did a lot more um, B-movies. Like, I would talk about movies that I uh, liked, because that was the focal point of the show. Uh, the main episodes, I was like, I am always going to be talking about movies that I enjoy. For better or worse, um, they're movies that I like. Now, there's some movies, uh, for example, Catwoman, which I start off basically saying, this is a terrible movie. This, However... It's a movie that I greatly enjoy because it is an unintentional comedy. So for, for me, like at the end of the day, um, if, if the movie's ending and I enjoyed it, then, I, then it was good. Like, I mean, I'm not going to put it uh, in the same league as something like, uh, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, this is, uh, you know, like J- you know, Jaws or this is uh, Saving Private Ryan or God-tier movies like The Godfather or something. Right. But I'm like, look – this was a fun, entertaining movie. If you if you have the right mind to sit down and like laugh at it and enjoy it, then you're going to have a good time. Um, but uh, initially, uh, like I said, I was going after more uh, movies like Night of the Creeps and uh, Ninja Three: The Domination and that kind of stuff. And um, what I would do was. I would take the movie and kind of uh, for the first part of it would like riff the movie would kind of talk about the plot and make some jokes here and there. And then after that was over, would talk about the production. I I would do a little bit of research and look into what went into the movie, how much it cost, what the production time was. uh, And then, you know, give my closing statements on what I liked, what I disliked, uh, you know, why I thought this movie was good and what makes it entertaining. Uh, Since then, what I've done is I still do those kind of episodes where I'll talk about uh, B-movies and even some big movies like uh, the G.I. Joe movies. But I also kind of branched out in a few ways. I do uh, a series called Exploring, which people really like, uh, where I'll take um, a movie that uh, something that is a little bit more special to me, something that I don't really want to uh, goof on. Uh, For example, Event Horizon where I'll talk about the history that that went through and just completely spend the entire time talking about the entire production, uh, how they came up with the idea, what went into it, any behind-the-scenes material that I can find, um, and then just go over the whole thing, how the studio meddled with it, and you know what the final release was like. And um, people really love those. And then uh, beyond that, I also do um, I do a thing called Good Bad Games where I take uh, video games that I think are underappreciated and I do videos on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do movie reviews for movies that are currently in theaters. So since I don't have any video footage on those, uh, what I basically do is I'll watch the movie. I actually have a theater like five minutes from here. So I'll drive over there. I'll watch whatever movie I'll drive home and I'll set up my mic and just record my initial thoughts of it. Do I like it? Do I dislike it? What do I think? And then just uh, edit that together and then put that up as kind of a vlog style thing. And uh, those are going over really well. They're nice because um, it's a nice kind of supplemental thing. Cause that way, uh, cause there are a lot of people that they want to uh, see 
like new movie reviews, but then at the end, uh, I'll tag a bunch of my older stuff and then people will, uh, kind of branch out from there. Oh, this guy talks about movies. Oh, let's see what else he talks about. And then they can see like the more in depth stuff that I do and really get into that as well. So, uh, that's kind of been helpful to bring in some new, uh, subscribers. And it's funny that, like you saying, you bring up the exploring series because I think that's the first video of yours I saw. I think it was your Man of Steel uh, exploring uh, video, and I'm just like, because, and it was funny because I, I had like conflicting views on Man of Steel because uh, big comic book fan, love Batman and Superman, and like was kind of disappointed with Superman Returns and Man of Steel. As soon as I got out, I'm like, that was really awesome, and then like the, I guess moral majority is like no it's terrible then i'm like is it and i was had really confused about it and i was unsure about it and then i saw your video about it and i'm like oh okay that makes sense that's why i responded to this this and this and that's how i would go on to watch and subscribe be a subscriber and watch more of your videos what um initially um gave the idea of doing the exploring series in the first place um it was it was actually kind of a fluke, really. Uh, I had a lot of people asking me to do a video on Silent Hill, the uh, the movie Silent Hill, mm-hmm. and uh, I am a huge fan of the video game series, and I love the first movie, and I was baffled by the amount of people that didn't like it because it seemed that the issues that they had were just nitpicky, you know. Oh well, there's a there's a female lead character and and uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't follow the the game exactly and and I kind of felt that um I didn't mind the changes that they made because they stuck very close to the feel of the series and I mean they used the the music from the games for crown hell out um but they I mean and a bunch of the different characters and a bunch of the monsters and everything, and they gave you know legitimate uh reasons for why these things were in the movie and so uh, I thought, you know what i 'm going to do an episode on Silent Hill, but i don 't want to do like a regular episode because i, I can 't bring myself to kind of goof on this movie. I love it too much, so um I did the video on Silent Hill, and it was like serious. And I was trying to think of a name for it. I was like, well, I can't say, you know, it's good, bad flicks. Uh, so I, I really thought it was just kind of going to be like a one-off. And so when I when I called it Exploring, I just called it Exploring Silent Hill, meaning like, you know, exploring the town of Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. And I did that, and that episode like blew up. Like people were like, this is awesome. They're like, we love your regular episodes. Uh, but but this was something special, and I, I saw the interest behind it, and I thought, you know what? I'm like, I could probably branch out and, and do something like that for special episodes, and I followed that up with, uh, I think I did Reindeer Games, where that one was a movie that uh, the studio took it away from the director, cut like a half hour out of it, and released it into theaters, and people were talking about how the movie didn't make any sense, it was dumb, there were plot holes, which is one of my uh, major pet peeves. Um, when uh, One of my biggest things that I hate to hear, well, I shouldn't say hate, but I very much dislike to hear when people say, oh, there's plot holes you could drive a truck through. And then a lot of times, it's not. It's like 
you could very much understand what's going on if you paid attention. Now, uh, Reindeer Games was a movie where, yes, there were plot holes, but they were plot holes because the studio cut a large portion of the movie out. Well, the director, uh, he got uh, the rights to the movie, and when uh, the time for the Blu-ray came out, he was able to recut the original director's cut and release the movie. And the movie in the director's cut is very good. It makes sense. Um, almost all of the plot holes are completely filled up. There's no more, well, why did he do this? This doesn't make any sense. Oh, well, it's because they cut that whole part out. And I did that video, and that went over really well. And I just called it, and I was like, well, I guess I should call it Exploring. So I, I called it Exploring Reindeer Games. And then after that, I just started doing more and more of them uh, to the point of where... Um, most times I'll do uh, maybe every other week or so. Uh, there's no real time frame warm. I guess it kind of depends on what, how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what, you know, what movie I'm focusing on. And the other thing with the exploring videos is they take a long time to produce. I always tell people because when I initially started doing them, I was still working uh, my editing job. And I was like, they were like, oh, do more exploring episodes. And I'm like, I would love to. I can't. <laughs> I'm like, there's I'm a time of the day. Yeah. There's not a time of the day. I'm already working on like four or five hours of sleep a night. You gotta, you gotta cut me a break here. So, uh, so I started doing, uh, maybe like, you know, one a month or so, but, uh, in, uh, and I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, um, in July of this year or July of this year, July of last year, uh, I got laid off. And so I was like, you know, I had a nice conversation with my wife. I said, look, um, if ever there was an opportunity to try to make this a full-time job, now is pretty much it. So she agreed with it. She was like, okay, yeah, you know, do this as your full-time gig. And so I, I made an announcement with everybody. I said, look, uh, I got laid off my job. Um, so I'm going to be doing more of these and so that's when I, I started branching out. You know, I was doing good band flicks episodes, and then I started doing more of the exploring episodes because they also get more views because they're bigger movies, movies like Man of Steel and stuff. And mm. and uh, oh, but they also get <laughs> they also get a lot of uh, of hate. Where I, I thankfully don't get emails, but I get a lot of you know YouTube comments. Where, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you spent five seconds writing a uh, response to a video that I researched for two months. <laughs> so I think I know a little bit more of what I'm talking about. So, um, so yeah, so that's when I started doing more, uh, more of the exploring episodes and then more of the... Uh, the the current movie reviews and that kind of stuff but uh yeah it's funny that you brought up man of steel because that's one that uh uh i i am happy with but i'm also unhappy with um i i like had i had had more time like if i was to do that episode now i would probably i would be able to put a little bit more time into it but when i did that i was still employed mm -hmm. and uh i kind of cut some stuff out for time and uh, like I probably I would have gone a little bit more into Sucker Punch and that kind of thing because I kind of went over all the different uh, <sighs> um, jo uh, 
Snyder movies, I went over all of his different uh, things and talked about how it was very odd to me because uh, there was this revisionist history going on where all of a sudden it was like this guy had done so many movies and when he got the job to work on Man of Steel, I remember people being excited. Oh my God, he's the best choice for it. It's going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden the movie comes out and he sucks. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, you know, a Six months ago, you guys were talking about how you were so happy and he did the remake of Dawn of the Dead and how uh, he's the perfect choice for this. And now all of a sudden, all of his movies are bad. Like, when did this happen? It's funny because uh, like two of my close friends fall into that category and they're like, like, he's like, oh, uh, are you going to go see the next Hack Schneider movie? And I'm just like, that's really unnecessary. (laughs) And like another friend of mine, he's just like, like like viciously like starting a boycott against Batman v Superman. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man. And like him and I've had conversations that he has liked all of Zack Snyder's movies, including sucker punch. And however, uh, man of steel, uh, apparently just rubbed them the wrong way that it just, so that's why whenever Superman or any comics are brought up, I, I immediately just kind of divert the conversation because I do not want to hear their dissertation of why, Man of Steel was terrible in their eyes. So I'm just like, and I'm like, all right. And I was thinking about doing a Man of Steel podcast, probably a commentary podcast before the release of the movie. And I have a few close friends or other friends that are just like, yeah, they really enjoy the movie. And I'm contemplating, do I have one of my friends who was very negative on the movie on the podcast itself to being democratic about it? Or is that just going to be a really bad combination? It could just be like too much bile in one place. And I don't know if I want to deal with that. It's really strange why people turned on Zack Snyder rather quickly. Yeah, it it just was it was so odd because uh, I I liked all this stuff. I mean, even the owl movie, which I had no I didn't even know was one of his. And I'm like, hey, this movie like um, we were on vacation uh, in a hotel and uh, it was on cable and uh, like it was maybe like 10 minutes into the movie and it was just kind of like oh you know let's have this on while we're waiting to go out to dinner or whatever I don't remember what it was mm-hmm. but um, we're sitting there watching it and I'm like you know this is actually really good I don't like a lot of CGI movies but this is a lot darker than I thought it would be and then um, you know we watched a good bit of it and then we went out and then um, I rented it from Netflix and I'm like Oh my God! He, you know, Zack Snyder directed this. What the hell? You know, this is, I, you know, how did that happen? And so I thought that was really cool. And uh, the big thing with uh, Man of Steel that uh, was one of the reasons why I wanted to do the video was simply because there were things that people were angry about that were wrong, like the whole thing that I cover in the video where I talk about you know Superman never kills, and I'm like. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, <laughs> he he has a whole bunch of times, and uh, so I covered. I'm like, all right, well, here's him. You know, um, here's him killing in the comic books. Here's him killing in the uh, Christopher Reeves movies. Here's him killing on Super, uh, not Super, uh, Smallville. Here's him kill. Like I went. <laughs> here's him killing in the uh, animated series. I'm like, you're mistaking him for Batman, and even Batman has killed some people. But, yes. you know, he has the, you know, the, the no-kill rule, whereas uh, Superman, you know, he doesn't like to do it. 
And I was kind of implying, uh, well, I was go- which we're going to find out a lot in the next one, uh, in Batman versus Superman, was that they weren't looking at the bigger picture, too. It was, hey, this is part one of a new ongoing series. So there's going to be ramifications to him killing Zod. He didn't want to kill Zod. But he had to. Like, there was no end game. And the other thing that I brought up frequently was, okay, um, Superman essentially, he wasn't even Superman yet. This was his first day on the job. And he was attacked by a bunch of other people who were trained and had basically the same strength as he did. And he managed to defeat them and save the Earth. I think that he did a pretty good job, you know, his yeah. first time out the gate. And you had people that just, they have their own interpretation of what Superman was. And unfortunately, they brought that into the movie instead of, you know, here's this story about Clark Kent becoming Superman. Like, that's why it, was, it wasn't called Superman. It was called Man of Steel because he wasn't Superman yet. But... You had just, uh, you know, people that just couldn't look beyond that. And again, probably like uh, like yourself where you said you came out of the movie and you enjoyed it, but then you had other people that were kind of coloring your vision of it. And I think that that was the general thing was that there's more people out there that like the movie but just uh, were influenced by so many people talking negatively about it. Oh, the movie sucks. Oh, it's stupid. Superman doesn't kill this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, just factually wrong stuff. And so I kind of wanted to be like, hey, look, look at all this. Here's all this factual information. <laughs> Completely disproved. But I still get people that are like, you are so wrong. And like, and that's... <laughs> it's like the biggest thing I always say to like, all right, you like save like people use Chris or Reed Superman as their reference. And like, that's the model they go by. I'm like, okay. So Superman was in the fortress of solitude for close to a dozen years, being trained by his father to use his powers and enforcing his moral code. And man of steel, he's got conflicting feelings from his, his uh, earth dad because Human beings are flawed and they're not perfect or anything like that. And he has to cope with that. And then a few moments with Russell Crowe and then have to deal with this monumental situation. Of course you're going to be a little unnecessarily maybe destructive in your in your ways of trying to stop them. But like I don't know. It's something that it's obvious that Warner Brothers has heard the criticisms and they're obviously being addressed in Batman v Superman. It's just something that I don't think there's ever been a comic book movie that's been this polarizing before. No, there there really hasn't. Uh, and and the thing that that kind of I want to say rubs me the wrong way, but I've very much been enjoying the the Disney movies. Surprisingly, like I mean, granted there are ones uh, that I haven't liked. Like I wasn't particularly crazy about Thor two. I thought that that was uh, disappointing, but I loved the first one. Um, but it, it it seems that there is a lot of people that are just so all in on the Marvel Disney movies that they're not willing to give anything else a try. They're, 
oh god you know uh, marvel does everything right and and uh dc should try to emulate them and then like dc uh, and warner brothers is coming along and they're not emulating them they're really doing their own thing and then you have people that are like oh well you know uh, dc is copying marvel and then you have people that say well dc is doing the marvel thing but they're doing it darker why can't superheroes be light and happy and and i'm like well why don't you just let them put out a second movie because <laughs> because really in the the new quote-unquote dc universe they've got one movie man of steel and they're working on batman superman and then they've got you know all the other movies coming out but it's like hey uh why don't we reserve judgment until there's like some more stories in this universe because i'm pretty sure when the uh, the first X Men movie came out before it was you know before the uh, Disney bought uh, Marvel and all that. Mm. There were a lot of people skeptical about that, and it wasn't until they saw, oh my God, hey, a good comic book movie, you know, that it really changed a lot of minds. So I just think that it's it's funny that uh, people are are so um, in a hurry to not like something. Like, I want to give things the benefit of the doubt. I want to like something. Now, granted, there are some things that I just... I have the inkling that are not going to be good. Uh, For example, the new Ghostbusters uh, reboot, remake, whatever. Uh, I'm not a fan of Paul Feig, who's directing it, and I really don't like Melissa McCarthy. So as soon as they announced that he was going to direct it and he was going to do an all-female reboot, I knew that he was going to hire McCarthy to be in the movie. And it just struck me as odd because it was an opportunity for them to do a movie with, uh, like, four female comedians like four you know uh because that's basically what with the exception of ernie hudson ernie hudson wasn't a uh but he was supposed to be the the place of the uh the audience but uh the other the people in it i mean bill murray and all them they all you know had comedy backgrounds they all were very funny and it, it just seemed very unusual that they would go in this route and uh i i would like to be proven wrong. I would. I would. It would be awesome if the new Ghostbusters was was good, but I just have a feeling that it's not going to be good. But I'm not going around talking about oh, this movie's going to suck and everything they do is wrong and I hope it fails and it ends up in uh, you know the Razzies and and whatnot. There's, <laughs> it's just a, a weird, a weird uh, vibe of negativity on the internet. It's almost like. There's like thousands of like Cartmans out there feeding on the tears of like <laughs> hatred. It's kind of like that one episode where he feeds the kids' parents to him, and he's like, "Oh, your tears are so sweet." It feels like there's a lot of people out there who have internet access who just want to just, just like, just feed on it. Like that's that's how they get to sleep at night. He's like, "Ah, I caused somebody to, to maybe get a, an ulcer today. I feel good about myself." It's really, <laughs> really strange. And now he's saying like it's you're pre- you're right with Ghostbusters being it's pretty much three comedians and one like person who's the the audience is in. Now I'm just imagining what if it was like Sarah Silverman one of the female Ghostbusters, and I'm like, huh, that would been just an interesting thing to see. Now mm-hmm. getting back to uh, your exploring series, which movie they've done thus far you had the most enjoyment uh, doing? Uh, probably um, the the Blair Witch two because that one um it got all the way back to to um the 
to uh, um, God, San- Sanchez and Myrick, who uh, were the directors of the original Blair Witch Project, uh, it got back to them. And uh, which was kind of funny in a way because they really had nothing to do with uh, Blair Witch 2. It was really Joe Berlinger's uh, project. Uh, they've actually kind of dismissed it. But um, they appreciated the video because I, I started off talking about uh, how revolutionary the original Blair Witch Project was. And uh, I have talked to uh, one of their producers who actually kind of became a, you know, internet friend and uh, who worked with them. And I've talked to him a whole bunch of times and, uh, you know, kind of uh, found out that uh, that the two directors of the original, that they saw the episode and they really enjoyed it. And uh, that was just kind of neat because that was one of the... Um, one of the few times where I, I know that the people who had some kind of influence uh, saw something that I worked on. And I've since had a lot of um, actors, uh, you know, that have, have seen the videos and people that were in the movies. Like I had uh, just tonight, I got an email. Um, the guy who played Skank in The Wraith, uh, he saw my video on The Wraith and he really loved it and thought it was great. And uh I thought that was cool. And what and then um Alan Love who worked on The Apple who was uh either Pandy or Dandy, I don't remember. Uh he wrote me a really nice letter saying uh you know, "Hey, I, I saw your video and I really enjoyed it even though you ruthlessly made fun of me." And I was like <laughs> I was like I went back and watched the video and I was like, "Oh yeah, it was a little mean." <laughs> but it was like but I mean, I was just kind of, you know, I I wasn't making fun of him, the actor. I was making fun of the person in the movie, you know, I was making fun of the character and he, he understood that. And he, he's, you know, wrote me a very nice letter and said that he appreciated it and thought it was very funny. And it was a nice little trip down memory lane. And I really appreciate that. And I have a feeling, um, that, uh, I know a lot of the videos that I do, if they do manage to make it back to somebody who worked in the production, somebody who was either an actor or director or crew, anybody, that they'll watch it and they appreciate it. Whereas you have all of these people that do nothing but uh, negative um, videos where they just ruthlessly trash something. And that, you know, that just upsets the people who work on it. It's like, all right, well, you know, we put a lot of work effort into this and maybe it didn't turn out as good as we had hoped, but here's somebody who's just, mocking it for the sake of mocking it and just being mean-spirited and uh that kind of sucks it's nobody goes into a production intentionally making a bad movie maybe uwe bowl being the exception to that but it seems like everybody else is like we're here to make the best of what we got and like you're saying there's so many critics out there that made i guess like garnered their following because they're just overly negative for the sake of it and that's one of the reasons why i really love your channel is because you're very optimistic when it when this whatever year is you're reviewing and it's a nice break and it's a nice it's a nice voice like okay sure maybe people may not like not many a lot of people may not like this but if i enjoy it i'm not the i'm, I'm not like doing something wrong liking it or like for example um this past weekend, after watching like a few of your videos, like Saturday morning, I ended up going down to my library and taking a few movies out. Two of them were Pandorum and All the Boys Love Mandy Lane. And my girlfriend and I watched those back to back, and we were both like, you know, 
we were kind of we were talking to each other afterwards. It's like, yeah, it's unfortunate why Pandora didn't get the following it deserves and the the shenanigans that the Weinstein's pulled with all the boys. It's mm. it's like these movies should have bigger followings, and it's just unfortunate that they got the wrong end of the stick when it comes to like movie critics, but whether they're like newspaper critics or the online critics today. Um. Which uh, video was, like, in the Exploring series, which one was the most difficult to research? <sighs> um, hmm. Probably, uh, I, probably the Man of Steel video, because that one, like I said, I was working on that while uh, I was still uh, at, uh, at my regular job. And uh, just because it was a time frame issue and uh, because I was covering not just one movie, I was kind of covering now I glossed over a lot of the movies, but I was covering uh, Zack Snyder's movie history, kind of truncated into a couple of minutes. And uh, I was talking about, uh, you know, a little bit of the history of Superman and whatnot. So that one was... uh, that was a pain. That one, that's one of the ones that probably first comes to mind when I think about all the nights and and massive amounts of uh, Mountain Dew that I had to drink in order to, uh, in order to stitch the whole thing together. And uh, at the time, uh, the computer that I was working on was much slower too, and um, I was actually working uh, off of uh, some DVD, you know, DVD footage, and then oh god. Um, <laughs> This one, it wasn't an exploring video, but this one was a pain. Uh, I did um, the video where it was uh, every reference in Cabin in the Woods. And that one was what I decided to do with that one. uh, Because previously to then, uh, I was just editing DVD footage. But with that one, I was like, you know, there's a lot of things that are very small. And they need to be seen clearer. So I decided to edit that one together with um, the Blu-ray footage. Mm -hmm. And my computer couldn't handle it. (laughs) So uh, normally when scrubbing through footage, it's just, you know, know, you're doing it in real time or faster. But when doing that, it was like scrub, wait, scrub, wait. So that video editing it together took forever. And so thankfully... Uh, that one actually went viral, and uh, with the money that I made off of that, uh, I bought myself a new computer, <laughs> one that could handle Blu-ray footage. <laughs> so uh, that was like it was a necessary pain, I guess you could say. I, I can just imagine, like when you say, like you had that moment of clarity when you thought of that. I just just imagine you just had like a little bit of like a flash, like a Vietnam flashback, like oh, oh, terrible ed- like editing experience, and I and, like. I've had those times where you're just like trying to like scroll through, scroll through, drop frames, drop frames. I'm like, uh, uh, render. Okay. Let's see if this works. Drop frames. You're like, Oh crap. And then you're just sitting there waiting for the computer to catch up. And you're just like, I could be doing so much, so much else. I can get so much done. If this was just running faster, it's a, it's a pain in the ass sometimes. Um, which review of the ones you've done thus far, which one are you the most proud of? Huh. Um, probably, 
Um, I did a video called uh, WTF Happened to uh, PG-13. Mm-hmm. That one I'm very proud of. I worked probably a good uh, three months putting that one together. And uh, that was about the history of PG-13, where it started, and how right now uh, we're seeing an unfortunate backlash of it, where uh, movies that are being shot as R-rated are being recut and released in theaters as PG-13. And uh, I was talking about the uh, the problems that that brings about, because a lot of times uh, if a movie is shot R-rated and then they release it into theaters PG-13 with the intention of releasing the R-rated or unrated cut on home video, a lot of times if it goes into theaters and it doesn't do well, they won't bother recutting the film. So they'll release the PG-13 video, you know, uh, version on home video, and then we're stuck with that version. And uh, I kind of went into a lot of the history of that, and that one also went viral, which uh, was great. That blew up. That got a lot of uh, attention of some larger YouTube channels, and uh, they have contacted me. And since off, you know, I've since been able to collaborate with a lot of people because of that one that uh, I wouldn't have otherwise. Like that one uh, really, really put a nice big spotlight on my channel, and uh, it was nice because um, I, I always like. I mean, I. I I work hard on every single episode, but um, there are obviously ones that I put more work into. And it's nice when that work is rewarded because there are times where, like, um, I did uh, I did a video about um, uh, I did a video about remakes, mm. and I did a video about. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, oh, I did a movie. I did a video about uh, movie trailers. You know about how movie trailers uh, are uh, just—they're all the same. And the movie trailer one started to blow up, and then a much larger channel did pretty much the same video. And it's not—I'm not blaming them of ripping me off or anything. It's just it was bad timing. Mm-hmm. And so they, of course, got all the attention and their video blew up. And I was like, so, you know, I was so annoyed. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I put all that work into that. I watched, seriously, for that video, I watched like 300 trailers. Oh. And yeah. And trying to spot, uh, do you know, spot similarities and trends and this, that, and the other thing and put that whole thing together. So, I mean, that one did well. But it didn't do as well as I'd hoped, and I was I was really frustrated with that. And then the the movie re- remakes video, uh, that one I don't know why it didn't do well. That one I just put it out, and I was like, oh my god! I'm like, because at the time uh, when I released it, I don't remember what it was, but I know that there was a remake that was just announced, and people were all pissed off, and they were, oh god, another movie remake, and I'm like, oh, this is perfect timing. I'm gonna put the video out, and it just didn't do well. So. Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you you know you put something out and you don't think it's going to go anywhere, and it does. And then other times you put something out, you're like, "Oh, this is going to be huge," and nobody watches it. <laughs> now, of all the videos you've done, which one, like, I want to say you dislike the most, or the one you feel like you could have done better with, or one that you're disappointed with the most? Um, 
I did a movie called Trick or Treat. Uh, not the 2008 Trick or Treat, Trick or Treat, but it's the old Trick or Treat with um, Gene Simmons. And that one actually, um, while I don't like it, it was kind of a good thing that happened. Because what happened while I was working on it, I didn't feel it. Like, I was like, oh, God, I, I really, I like, I, I like the movie, but I'm like, I just don't like how this episode's coming together. And I forced myself to kind of go through it and finish it, and I put it out, and I was really unhappy with it. I was just like, oh, God, that sucked. And what I decided was from then on that if ever I started working on something and I got that feeling, I would stop and work on something else and kind of put it on the back burner. And there's been a few movies like that where, um, for example, uh, Night of the Comet, I started working on. And I decided, you know what, I'm not feeling this right now. I'm going to put it off. And I waited. And I did that one about a year later. And I was much happier with it. And I was like, okay, you know, I think that, uh, I, you know, there is a sort of vibe so I've decided ever since then, if ever I got an inkling that things aren't coming together the way that I like, to just give it some time and come back to it. Mm. Um, now, the internet being a place where everybody can congregate and speak their mind and comment on things, what is the nicest thing somebody's ever said about your work? Um, hmm. I don't know about the nicest thing, but I mean, I, I just get a lot of uh, of very positive comments. People saying stuff that, uh, you know, hey man, I'm I'm a big fan. I appreciate the fact that uh, you're positive, like you're 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 talking about uh, these movies that I really like, and I've seen so many other people trash them, and just your attitude. You're like, we we you know, I appreciate that. Uh, you're you're bringing something positive to the internet. You're not just like endlessly shouting about how everything sucks. So uh, yeah, I get a I get a a lot of those, which really helps me going when it's three in the morning and I'm still editing and I'm like, oh god, I just want to go to sleep. And oh, you know what? All right, that'll that that's cool. That's why I'm doing this. Now, on the flip side of that, what's <laughs> the worst things somebody's ever said about your work? Um, well, I've gotten death threats. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, oh, my it, God. It's the internet. I mean, more than likely, the people that sent them are some angry 13-year-old. And because, like, it's it's not even worth, like, really, like, I, I, that's why I laugh about them. Because I'm like, they're, because uh, I got them on my website. And I looked it up, and I'm like, okay, this person is in, you know, because I looked at their IP, and I'm like, all right, this person is in the other side of the country. I'm like, I think what happened, uh, I had uh, I had gotten a job working for a company called The Escapist. Uh, they, uh, what they do is they'll run, like I do a video for them, they'll put it out on Monday, and they have it exclusively for a week. And then after that week, it goes up on YouTube. And then, you know, I give them a new video and then so on and so forth. And I think that at the time, uh, there were just some people that were maybe mad about the fact that I got the job at a very, such a high profile uh, website. 
And um, so I got, you know, some angry emails of the sort telling me that they were going to um, stab me and such. And I just kind of laughed it off. You know, I'm I'm still here. So so that's probably the worst. Uh, As far as, like, the the worst of just regular commenting, uh, I get a lot of people that um, will nitpick the littlest thing. Like, uh, for example... Uh, I did a video about the happening where if I could do it now, I would definitely do it differently. But at one point uh, I mentioned, and it was a throwaway comment. Uh, I was talking about M. Night's different movies. And one of the movies that I did, uh, or one of the things I said was um, he did uh, Avatar, which was an adaptation of the popular manga. And it was just a throwaway comment. You know, I didn't talk any more about it. It was the only thing that I mentioned about the movie. And I thought, silly me, that um, Avatar was, you know, a, a well, like a lot of other animes, it, you know, it was, it was originally in Japan or wherever. They brought it over to the U.S. and it became popular. Well, here, you know, I didn't know that um, it was an American-made show that kind of emulated that style and so for years i get you're stupid (laughs) you know this isn't a manga this was a and i was like it was a like little one second throwaway comment i'm like and that and that, that automatically um undermines everything else you have to say and uh, I was just like, ugh, whatever. And then, uh, and then most recently, uh, I got uh, a few of these. Um, I did a uh, a review where I talked about uh, the Force Unleashed, or not the Force Unleashed, the Force Awakens. <laughs> and um, I said that uh, I like the Force Awakens, and I, I went into a little bit of how I'm like I'm not one of those people that uh, that hates. The prequels. I'm like, I think that, uh, you know, they're not without their flaws. I'm like, but they're not complete garbage. I'm like, I actually, I think that one has issues, but uh, has a lot of cool parts. And two and three, I like. And so I get a lot of credibility shot. You like the prequels. And I'm like, oh, God, I forgot. I'm supposed to agree with everybody else on the Internet who hates everything blindly. It it almost seems like. It almost seems like you're going into a club and, like, the password is, what do you hate? The prequels. And they'll let you in. And that's, like, that's how they judge your character by. <laughs> and it, it's something that I did a podcast on The Force Awakens, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a couple of weeks ago with one of my, my friends, Justin, and my girlfriend, Vicky. And we had brought up the prequels. And then, like, her first Star Wars experience was the prequels. She still enjoys them. I still have really fond memories, like, the, seeing the first two with my granddad, and the third one, like, one of the f- moments that solidified uh, the friendship between myself and my brother-in-law, when later goes, no, him and I were the only two people in the theater cracking up, and it's just, like, one of those shared experiences that kind of binds us forever, and, like, I wouldn't have that experience without the prequels, and so, therefore, I have the prequels in a positive light, and then I... I another thing like man of steel it's like one of those things when brought up in conversation i had to kind of be like all right yep 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 prequels kind of uh yeah not so good huh and then try and mosey on out of that conversation because i know i just don't want to deal with the nonsense of people like no you're stupid you're wrong this is why it sucks i'm like okay okay (laughs) 
Whoa, dude. Like, I am at a 2, you're at a 10 right now. Let's bring it down. I am not ready to deal with that kind of frustration. I'm in this shitty job to begin with. I don't need more stress as it is. Um, now, when you started out, did you have, like, a set list of, like, movies that you wanted to do initially? Or was this, like, one of those things that, like, oh, I like that movie I should do a review on? Um, when I first started, um, like before I started, uh, what I did was I sat down and I said, all right, well, uh, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to need movies to cover. And I, I said, if I can come up with 10 off the top of my head, which would you know roughly be a couple of months worth, I said, uh, you know, that, that would be enough. So I started writing down. And off the top of my head, I think I came up with like a hundred some. So I, I said, oh, well, I guess I have plenty to keep me going. And uh, I've uh, since branched off from that list. Actually, I lost the list because I had moved uh, since I started. Uh, so I don't know where the, the original list is, but I know... Uh, I was kind of picking from there and then branching out and, you know, doing um, uh, like I would kind of look and see what people wanted to like. Uh, like I, I did what I wanted, but every now and then I would have somebody be like, hey, why don't you do this movie? And I was like, yeah, why don't I do that movie? You know, and then so I would bump that one up on the list and would look into that and do that. So, uh, uh, yeah, I kind of initially had a list, but now uh, I, I kind of... Uh, I don't have. Oh, I I do have. Um, I have a list that a lot of people ask where where they'll like, um, hey, uh, why don't you do such and such a movie? And it's something that I like, and I'm like, okay, I'll add that to the list. Uh, so I add that to the list, and I have a um, an Excel spreadsheet where I have all of the movies that have been requested. And uh, right now, let me take a look. It is at uh, 1,398 movies that are requested. Jesus. And so every now and then, you know, whenever I do a movie, you know, I'll go and I'll just, you know, uh, like uh, I'll, I'll bold and italics it. So it's like, okay, I did that one. And uh, but um, whenever I'm stuck where I'm like, oh, you know, what, what should I work on next? I'll go and I'll look at the list and, uh, you know, see if there's something on there that I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I should get to this one or whatever. So uh, I do um, – I do a lot, but also there's a lot of ones where uh, people will request them. Uh, for example, I've gotten a lot of people that have wanted me to do Disturbing Behavior, and I love that movie. But I knew that uh, they had been rumoring uh, that they were going to release a like Blu-ray version. And I was like, okay, well, if they release the Blu-ray version, hopefully they'll be able to put the, the original director's cut out. And I'm like, because then I'll be able to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally they just announced it. Uh, so that one's coming out, I think, um, I think May of this year. And the only problem is, and I talked to Shout Factory who's releasing it, they are releasing the uh, lost footage, but it's not the director's cut. And um, and I'm kind of like, oh, why? And then I was, and they're like, well, it's licensing problems. They're not allowed to release. They got the footage, but they can't release the director's cut. And it sucks because I actually have um, – there's a, a resource that I go to. Uh, it's not downloading stuff on torrents. Mm -hmm. uh, there's actual an actual resource that uh, a guy I know that um, he gets a lot of um, stuff – 
that uh, normally doesn't see the light of day. And so I have the original director's cut of uh, uh, of disturbed behavior, but it is from the uh, it's from the you know. It's from the dailies and whatnot, mm. so the footage is is not sweetened. Uh, it's it's basically VHS quality, right? And uh, and it, but it's still like good. But it's just it, that's the complete version. But it's unfortunate that something like that, you know, we're we're going to get the Blu-ray, but then we're still going to get the theatrical version, which is still good. But the director's cut is so much better, and it's just annoying that it's like, okay, finally, you know, this movie's being remastered and, re- and released. Oh. But it's going to be the theatrical version. <laughs> it's not going to be uh, the the uncut. So that's the thing. Where a lot of movies like that, where um, I'll wait because I know that uh, you know a better version is going to come along. Now this, unfortunately, I waited, and you know it, it, it's going to be better uh, quality wise. It'll be 1080p. But um, and I'm, they're probably going to clean up the film they stock like they usually do. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's not going to be you know the director's cut. But uh, I kind of know the history behind it, so that'll be a really good episode that uh, I'll be able to talk about. Um, there is is there one movie that's the most requested review consistently? Um, I get a lot of requests for Troll Two. Um, that makes I, sense. Yeah, I, I'd like to do Troll Two, but the thing with that is uh, it's kind of been done to death. And if I do, uh, I would like to be able to put my own spin on it. Like, there are a lot of movies where uh, I get requests to do. And I'm like, eh, you know, like, it's already been done to death. You know, like, what what more is there to talk about? And so some people are like, well, we just want to hear your thoughts on it. So, but I'm like, eh, but, you know, I don't want to just, you know, do the same thing that everybody else has done. So uh, with Troll 2... I, I would like to do it because I think the movie is hysterical. <laughs> it, it is one of my like just personal favorite, just bad movies. But uh, I'd like to uh, you know put my own uh, spin on it. Uh, that one I get a lot of requests for. Uh, I get a lot of requests for uh, Alien Three because uh, there's a great story behind that one. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of requests for Battlefield Earth, which I refuse to do because uh, I said, look. Um, Part of the thing here is that I talk about movies that uh, are bad, or bad, but you know they have some redeeming qualities to them, or they're entertaining, or I just plain like them. Battlefield Earth is a movie that I think genuinely deserves its negative reputation <laughs> as a terrible, unentertaining, just not good movie. And I know a lot of people worked really hard on it to, to make it happen. But unfortunately, there's really no redemption on that one. So I get a lot of people request that. And I'm just like, look, even I have limits. <laughs> um, other than Battlefield Earth, is there any other ones that you outright know I am not going to do that? Uh, I uh, I, <laughs> I don't want to do any Uwe Boll movies. Uh, I've got. Yeah, I, I said if I ever, much like the Troll 2 thing, if ever I did do something for Uwe Boll, uh, it would probably be more of a history of him and not specifically one movie. Because uh, the, uh, there's a, a podcast that I work on where uh, they, uh, I wasn't there for the episode, but uh, they interviewed him. And 
he was like I got to listen to like the entire you know thing, not what was released because he actually after the interview was over, uh, they stayed on and chatted with him for a while, and I liked his honesty. I liked how uh, you know he kind of recognized what he was doing, and I was I'm still annoyed at how um, he started his career. And well, not so much start his career, but because uh, he had already been making movies by that point. But his career really blew up when he started doing video game movies. And unfortunately, uh, because of him doing all those video game movies that were all terrible, uh, he set back the whole video game movie ability. Like, like there were uh, producers and whatnot that were like, well, you know, there's all these video game movies coming out and people hate them and they're all terrible. And they weren't particularly looking at the fact that, you know, they were being done by this one studio. They were looking at the fact that here's a video game movie and it cost $40 million and it made $5 and it sucked. And, uh, that really hurt the, uh, the, the ability to, to make good video game movies there for a while because, um, studios started getting very protective. You know, they didn't want, uh, to sell to license out their property and then have it be done by somebody who really was just looking to make a quick buck and uh, that really kind of hurt things but um, he is an interesting guy he's got a a, a very interesting story uh, his he's brutally honest mm-hmm. uh, like he was talking about how uh, he was he was openly making fun of Tara Reed. And how much of a terrible actress she He basically said, uh, you know, I will work with anybody else ever again. Not Tara Reid, you know. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it was, he was really brutal with, with her. And if you've ever seen Alone in the Dark, wow. You, you could tell that she wasn't quite grasping her lines for the movie. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, pretty much... Um, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think I'll be doing any Uwe Boll movies. And uh, let's see, Battlefield Earth. What are the? I know I have a few on my no list. Not very many, but I know there's a few. Oh, Batman and Robin is another one that uh, I I won't do because uh, it uh, it's not a good movie. <laughs> it's like one of those things that um, with Batman and Robin, like you're saying it's. I view it as a really unintentional comedy, and like I know. Schumacher was totally like my theory is with Warner Brothers when it came to those first four Batman movies like Tim Burton makes 89 the 89 film with restrictions from Warner Brothers massive hit he doesn't want to come back for a sequel yet they're begging for him comes back they take all the training wheels off he gets to do what he wants Batman Returns is definitely his movie and the box office suffered Schumacher comes in they're like all right we got to be really protective of Batman now Batman Forever comes out, success. And the Warners is like, wait, 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 wait. I've seen this before. And so they put more restrictions on him for Batman and Robin. That's the movie we get. And one of the funniest things is that I went to uh, college in upstate New York. And I'm about 45 minutes north of Syracuse. And I'm, uh, as like the crow flies, pay like 70 miles away from Canada because my our campus at SUNY we go ended right on Lake Ontario. So like I look at my window, the one of the Great Lakes is right there, and so it's, we had all kinds of snow throughout the winter. And I remember 
several times. I would just, my friend's dorm room, I would kick in the door and be like, what killed the dinosaurs? And have the entire room recite the rest of the next lines as the Ice Age. <laughs> and it's just, and it's one of those lame things of how we say hello to each other sometimes because we're cool like that. And... Uh, and I understand because everybody's done Batman and Robin. It makes sense why you would not want to do it. Um, now, at least like some of the movies that you've covered that you've done, like Italian exploitation movies, and something I was thinking about while I was writing down my questions with filmmaking, like uh, technology becoming more and more democratic, and more and more people can be able to do it. Why isn't there at least more well-known Italian exploitation movies today? Um, I think what it is, is that it's, it's all about the distribution. Like back then, uh, you had a lot of, uh, like demand, uh, that's kind of how like, uh, full moon studios came along. Um, when they were making movies direct for the home video market. And the thing was like, they were cranking out movie after movie and, and they were just doing huge numbers and you know uh video stores were buying them left and right and people were renting movies like crazy and they just could not make the movies fast enough to to meet the demand and the same thing with like a lot of the italian exploitation they're like well you know this movie was a hit so we're gonna do our you know knockoff and then this other studio is gonna do their knockoff and they're gonna put it into uh video stores and they were relatively cheap so uh, they were able to to make their money back. Uh, I think that now, the what we get as far as uh, the Italian exploitation, uh, we get the asylum. You know, we get uh, this studio that uh, you know they they do uh, all the uh, mockbusters, mm. you know, transmorphers, and and then they branched off from that. Now they do uh, the intentionally bad movies like uh, Sharknado and whatnot, and that ends up being uh, a big hit for them. So I think that that's kind of the modern evolution of that. Now the reason why we're not getting any, um, or I shouldn't say any, but we're not getting as many. Um, foreign studios that are doing the uh the exploitation that's coming to the u.s and and becoming you know at least getting into video stores uh it's just that there's so much more like i think now like back in the the 80s and 90s uh and you know to to a certain degree the 70s uh there wasn't enough content being made to feed up to meet up with the uh with the demand now there's too much content like mm-hmm. now everyone is making movies and so it's really hard to kind of get yours to stand out and get yours to be uh, recognized so i think that uh, it's just not financially viable in the way that it used to be and it, like the closest thing that we have as of late is Eli Ross the Green Inferno i mean that's the closest thing that we have to what like like is like italian cannibal movies is like this is where Cannibal Fear, Ox and Cannibal Holocaust, like, would lead, like, this is where it, it led into, which leads to my next question. Your feelings is Eli Roth on the whole. I love Eli Roth. I, I, I unabashedly love the guy. I know uh, he gets a lot of, uh, a lot of crap from a lot of people. Um, <laughs> there's a, uh, the podcast that I do, Radio Drum, uh, the, the two guys that I do the show with, they, well, the one guy, uh, Josh, openly hates him 
and uh, my other buddy uh, Peter, uh, he dislikes him because he he just uh, he the only movie that he ever saw of his that he liked was the Green Inferno because he's a really big fan of the uh, old exploitation uh, cannibal uh, Ferox and that kind of stuff. So he thought that this was the probably the closest we're ever going to get to another cannibal movie <laughs> for quite a while. Uh, but ever since I saw uh, Cabin Fever, I was like, all right, uh, I got to keep my eyes on this guy. And he has not disappointed. I've genuinely loved all of his stuff. And it's funny because my girlfriend and I, we saw Green Inferno in the theater. And that's the only movie I ever thought uh, I was going to be made sick because of the content. And I'm like, sure, you can, you can, if you don't like the acting or even the story. And I'm like, this movie caused a reaction in me that's never happened before. And that's something that I'm never going to forget. And... And I was talking to a friend of mine at work about Eli Roth, and my friend Ed was just like, yeah, like, he's like, I, I may not like him as an actor, but he's like, I do enjoy some of his work. And I'm like, and I quoted, like, Cabin Fever, and I'm like, yeah, he's a professor of being a dog. Ooh, face. And he started cracking up, and I'm like, you see? Even in a dumb line like that, you can still enjoy his performance. He's like, all right, you got me there. And... And I guess, like, some, because Eric perceives him to be a real bro and is, like, kind of like a frat uh, guy. And I'm like, all right, I can understand why you may not like him for that. But I don't think I should discredit his work on the whole. It's something I never really understood. Yeah, he, uh, like, uh, the the thing is, the where the, the bro comment and all that comes in, like, there's so many people that just, oh, he's such a dude bro and all that. And I'm like, how many dude bros do you know that, love the movie pieces yeah you know how many dude bros do you know that even have heard of that movie or i you know or or half the movies that he talks about openly like there there are people that um will let's say fake things you know you 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 see somebody uh wearing a pokemon shirt that uh, you know they don't know pokemon or whatever who cares or whatever but he's somebody who he'll talk about the stuff that he loves in a way that you're like, okay, this is beyond just somebody who watched the movie. This is somebody who is a genuine fan of whatever it is he's talking about. And, uh, so I, I never, I, I, I think it's just the dude bro thing from people that they needed something that they could say that they don't like about them, you know? Oh, well, you know, because they can't, uh, they can't say that he's a bad actor because a lot of them love Tarantino. And by saying that he's a bad actor would somehow negatively impact Tarantino. So uh, a lot of them, oh, he's a crappy director. and He just makes the same movie. He rips everybody off, you know, or he's a dude bro. And like, no, he's, he's really not. Um, I actually have a, a, a little story about a Green Inferno. Um, the movie theater that I normally go to, uh, they weren't playing it. Which was really odd because in the months leading up to it, uh, they had a big cardboard, uh, you know, cutout of Green Inferno, and then I was shocked that I'm like, oh wait, they they didn't get it? What the hell? So I ended up going to uh, there's another theater near here that just opened up. Uh, it's the Studio Movie Grill. It's one of those, uh, you know, you go and you watch the movie and you sit down. They have a table in front of you and you get right. you know f- food delivered and all that. So um, I knew going in that this is a cannibal movie. And uh, but I went there uh, around lunchtime and uh, there was some people in front of me 
and they had ordered their food and the movie started and it was going along and they had their food delivered and they're sitting there eating and watching the movie and um a little bit into the movie there i won't spoil it but a little bit into the movie something happens and i just hear the clink 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 (laughs) of them dropping their silverware (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I have a feeling that these people did not know that this was a cannibal movie. Oh, I can just imagine somebody walking there. Give me the biggest steak you've got. I want to enjoy this movie thoroughly. <laughs> yakking it up in the midst of the movie. Yeah. Um, what were your, like, like, is your intro and outro theme and several musical pieces you've played throughout your videos are obviously for uh, like heavy metal. Why do you think metal and horror movies are so instinctively connected? Um, I think that it's just one of those tangential relationships. Like uh, uh, a lot of metal fans are just horror fans. I think that that kind of uh, goes hand in hand. And I actually, um, uh, that <laughs> brings to mind uh, when I was talking about initially when I started, I had the intros, uh, where it was just a piece of stock music that I bought from like some website. Uh, but more recently, uh, I became friends with a band called Psycho Stick, who are awesome. They uh, do kind of comedy metal. Uh, they sing songs about like Bruce Campbell, about Mega Man, and a great, great bunch of guys. So they were kind enough to do um, my intro and outro theme. And uh, so... I've done, like, every now and then they'll request, like, they requested some movies for me to do, and I did them. uh, And then, you know, like I said, they did the intro and outro theme for me, and there was that, the metal uh, thing that was just awesome. And it really, it it just made me very happy. It made them that much more professional, I feel. Um, But uh, it's funny that I get a lot of people that, um, the intro is seven seconds long. (laughs) And I get a lot of people that are like, can you get rid of the intro? I don't like heavy metal. I'm like, it's seven seconds long. Like, <laughs> just mute for seven seconds if you don't like it that much. Oh man! <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the, the whole the whole metal thing. It's just it's always. I think that um, when I was younger and I was first uh, you know getting into metal, you know, you had a lot of uh, horrific images and stuff. Like you had. Um, uh, there was a band called Obituary, and some of their covers they used uh, for their albums was from like H.P. Lovecraft, and they wrote, you know, they had songs about H.P. Lovecraft, and and uh, it's just one of those relationships that kind of just just goes together. That's why I always feel weird when like like you notice how like a lot of um, horror movies they'll have uh, a soundtrack that's like either metal or hard rock, and then every now and then one will come out and it'll be like hip hop. And it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> but there's also like a string of like hip hop themed horror movies in the early 2000s when hip hop was burning up the top 40 chart. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, it's, it just feels a little like weird. You're like, all right, I, like, I, like whenever I listen to rap, which is not that often, like I'm just going to relax and everything like that. And I'm just, just going to don't want to deal with life or anything like from watching a horror movie i want my pulse racing and i want to have like a certain experience the same kind of experience that i listen to whenever i'm listening uh to metal but it's and it's just funny how many people i ran into are horror fans and metal fans where i can just go from leapfrog from conversations like the ever-changing lineup of like annihilator or a testament 
to how Rob Bottin did the certain effects on both uh, the thing and the fog, and you're like, and not a single beat is skipped when it happens, and it's, it was just one of those things I kind of like stand back and listen. I'm like, wonder why that is. I know like obviously Black Sabbath took their name from the Mario Bava movie, so. Maybe it's just since the incarnation of metal that horror's always been connected to, and it was just one of those things I always wanted to get your opinion on. Okay. Um, feelings on the Saw films, the Saw franchise? Uh, I love the first three movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, that makes a... I mean, the first movie is, is the best. Yes. But uh, two and three are outstanding sequels. Uh, but, I mean, the first movie was revolutionary. I mean, there was really not a lot of movies that that kind of did what they did. And it's always funny. Um, I, I went to see it uh, in the theater with my a girlfriend at the time, now my wife. Uh, but uh, when we saw it, I was like, oh, my God, this movie is amazing. And shortly thereafter, uh, I went with my uh, brother and sister-in-law. And my sister-in-law was a nurse. And so we went to see it. And after the movie was over, she was freaking out. She's like, oh, my God, the, the stuff that they showed in that movie, I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, you're a nurse. Like, in the, in the ER, like, <laughs> you, you treat gunshot wounds for real. Uh, and you were freaked out by a movie, and she just couldn't handle it. And then going back and watching it again, uh, what a lot of people don't realize, what a lot of people talk about now, uh, they're like, oh, you know, the original Saw, it's so disgusting and it's violent. And it's really not. The majority of the stuff is in your head. Like, you don't really see. Now, the later sequels, they, they kind of upped it and they, they made it gory. But with the original movie, there was not that much blood and guts. It was very um, intentional, like whenever there was uh, some blood shown. And uh, I think that that made it worse for some people because a lot of times when movies go overboard on the gore, it becomes comical. Mm -hmm. And with this, they showed just the right amount to where it made you uncomfortable. And so I thought that was amazing. I I love the first movie. And, uh, and that kind of kicked off a wave of, of really amazing um, horror movies. We had that, we had Wolf Creek, we had high tension. We had uh, so many just great horror movies all coming around that time. And uh, Saw 2 and 3, I think, were were fantastic uh, sequels that kind of made that whole thing into a very complete trilogy. And then after that, uh, 4, 5, 6, and 7, I like them to varying degrees, but I kind of separate them from the original three. Like, I think that they are entertaining in their own right, but they're not as amazing as uh, that original trilogy is. And it seems like, well, because, like, they had, they brought on a pair of writers to plan out a second trilogy, so, like, it's tightly plotted, but like you were saying, the magic of those first three movies seems to be lost, and it seems like they're just churning through it somewhat. I mean, the actors they have in there, and they do give really good, strong performances, it's just something, the spark was not there when it came to those movies, and, and, like, I still haven't seen the seventh one. And because at that point, like after the end of the sixth, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to watch this. And I still haven't seen the seventh one. Eventually I'll get around to seeing that just to have say, Hey, finally complete the series. Eventually probably when I uh, get on Blu-ray, the whole set. Now there was a perceived notion 
with the 1990s that there was a bad time for horror movies. And do you share that sentiment, or do you think that's another one of those things that we brought up a few times in this podcast that it's just like the majority saying it's bad, so it's perceived to be bad? Uh, I think what happened with the 90s uh, was that when Scream came out and uh, everybody started um, pointing to that as like the first meta movie, which it really wasn't, but it was the first one that really blew up. And they kind of did... There was a show years ago. I don't remember exactly what it was called, but it was like Magic's Mystery Revealed or whatever, where uh, they were showing like all how these magic tricks were being done. And with the the guy who did that basically revealed himself and said, the reason that I did these was because magic had gotten stale. And uh, there were so many... um, so many magicians that were just doing the same old tricks over and over again. And he was like, I was hoping that by showing these that uh, people would come up with new tricks. and it would, it would force their hand, basically. Okay, well, I can't do this anymore because now people know how it's done. And when Scream came along, um, it was kind of like, hey, uh, a lot of horror movies that are out there are just following the same formula over and over again. And they're, they're, it's kind of getting stale. And they they wanted to, to do, um, you know, Wes Craven was hoping that it would kind of influence people to maybe uh, step outside, maybe do some different stuff, you know, have have, uh, you know, uh, different different cliches that eventually come up and and have different you know things happen and make it more interesting, different killers and you know, be creative. And instead, what happened was there were a lot of people, a lot of studios, rather, that said, you know, wait a minute, that Scream movie was really popular. We need to make self-aware horror movies. And so they came out with uh, Urban Legend, and I Know What You Did Last Summer, and horror movies that kind of take the piss out of horror movies. And while uh, I did enjoy those movies, they kind of were missing the point. It was like they were making uh, horror movies that made fun of themselves, but they weren't really doing anything new with them. It was just self-referential horror films for the sake of doing them. And uh, I think that really is why a lot of people look back to the 90s and think that there was no good horror films. But if you go back and look, I mean, there are plenty of of genuinely good horror films. Maybe not as good as the 80s, which was kind of, which was the, uh, like, golden era, I guess you could say, of uh, horror films. Mm Because, you know, that's where we got, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. And, I mean, you know, Halloween and and, uh, Black Christmas were both in the 70s, but a lot of people still attribute them to the 80s. Um, but, uh, I think that there's plenty of good, uh, nineties horror films. It's just not looked upon as, uh, as nicely. I think more recently, uh, in the late two thousands, uh, we're reaching a lot of, um, we're reaching a glut of bad PG 13 horror films. Uh, we're, cause we're getting these outstanding foreign horror films, uh, that are just blowing away the creativity and whatnot that we're getting in America. Like a lot of times we're getting these just awful found footage horror films or really bad, bland movies like, uh, Ouija, which, uh, came out last year, I believe, which just, how do you take something as terrifying as a Ouija board and make it not scary? And, uh, well, they, they managed to do it. So I think that um, right now, 
they're they're too busy trying to find the next uh, franchise instead of focusing on making the first movie good. And next, this actually leads into my next two questions. Um, do you think hard R rated movies can make a comeback today, or do you think there is? Do you think there's an audience for that? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot of adults out there that like adult material, and that's why I get I I was uh, on Twitter the other night, and I was really pissed off. Uh, there was a lady who uh, was petitioning Fox. Uh, she has an eight year old son who really wants to see Deadpool, and she's mad because Deadpool is a superhero movie and it's rated R. And she was petitioning them to release a PG thirteen cut as well. And I'm like, well, uh, every PG-13 movie that comes out, they don't simultaneously release the R-rated cut. Like, why um, are you forcing a company to try to water something down so that your 8-year-old can watch it? I mean, isn't there already enough uh, superhero movies out there, especially this year? That are coming out that, you know, I mean, we've got an overabundant, we got the Civil War movie, we got uh, all the all the DC movies, we got a bajillion more Marvel movies. Uh, who knows uh, whatever uh, other comic book companies are going to pop up and, and start releasing some other stuff that, uh, you know, hasn't been announced yet. Uh, so there's going to be just an overwhelming abundance of PG-13 horror or PG-13 um, superhero movies. You know, why do you have to take the one away from us? So I think that um, there is an audience for R-rated movies. The problem is is that now uh, there's not uh, – I don't want to say as big of an audience because um, there are a lot of R-rated movies that have done incredibly successful. Uh, you've got The Matrix that uh, just made a, a billion dollars. Uh, you've got uh, a lot of other movies that just made tons and tons of money that were R-rated. And uh, I think the thing is they need to start making – if they want to take risks on R-rated movies, okay, don't make a $100 million R-rated movie. You know, Make a $40 million R-rated movie or make a $10 million R-rated movie or, or less than that. I mean you have something like uh, Sinister, which was a fantastic throwback to genuinely scary horror films. And I think that – if I'm not mistaken, that one was made for $3 million. And so, of course, they're going to more than ma- you know, make their money back with that one. Um, so I think that there's definitely an audience for that kind of movie. Um, but if they're, just, if they're so afraid of, of making them, don't dump so much money into them. And it's like, then you have like, It Follows, which was last year, was an R-rated movie, but it was made for like 2 or $3 million and obviously made its money back and like it should like you were saying it shows that there's an audience for there it seems like like if paul verhoven was coming on the scene today and like made the movies like robocop total recall or starship troopers or or basic instinct it seems like a person like that would not be able to survive in today's movie making climate and and i was listening i was listening to the total recall soundtrack today and i'm just as it's Jerry Goldsmith's score is like it's very much like to the beats of the movie. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself like, oh, this is when Arnold's on the escalator and he's using a person as a human shield, and gigantic squibs are going off and he's blowing away bad guys. I'm like, 
I haven't gone to the theater and seen so many blow away bad guys that visceral in a long time. And I'm just, just got me kind of bummed about it. And I'm like, why isn't there something like that for me? And I like, there's a million reasons why some, why Hollywood is, is making bad decisions. And we, we could be here for another 10 hours for that. But my next question is, why do you think, because this is something you brought up many times, why do studios keep listening to focus groups? Uh, I wish I knew. Because <laughs> they're... Uh, uh, the thing that I don't understand is um, when studios hire a director for a project, I understand the, that there's going to be a give and take. You, you never want to give uh, a director 100%, you know, control you want to give them the majority of the control but you also want to be able to have some kind of give and take because there are a lot of times where uh they'll be working on a thing and i want to make you know i want to do this and then the producers are like no how about we do this and they kind of come to an impasse and they they compromise and a lot of times you end up with uh, a better product because of that uh for example um in the original star wars uh, George Lucas wanted to make Han Solo a talking fish. And the studio said, no, that's a terrible idea. We, we need to have, you know, you already have a giant Wookiee. You know, you have a giant talking dog, essentially. We need to have a human. And, you know, we, so we got Han Solo. We got uh, Harrison Ford. And, you know, a great character, which quite possibly may not have been as revered today if he was a giant fish. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some kind of give and take. Now, the problem is that a lot of times you'll get a studio that will hire a director to do a job and they will just be merciless on them or they'll cut their budget or they'll put unrealistic demands on them and consequently the movie ends up suffering because of that. Um, I don't understand why they'll put so much, they won't listen to the person who they hired. They'll be like, they'll listen to a group of people. You know, it's like, okay, here we have the director. This is the guy who was the vision, who has the vision. This is the guy who we hired to make this movie. He's the one who is going to have the idea of how the movie should be. And then they put it in front of a bunch of people who are walking around a mall one day and they're going to decide how the movie goes. Uh, another good one, uh, focus groups, they wanted, uh, they didn't understand Pulp Fiction. They couldn't understand why John Travolta was alive at the end of the movie, even though he got shot halfway through the movie. And they, the studio wanted them to uh, put the movie back in order. They wanted the movie to be told chronologically. And Tarantino stood his ground and said, no, this movie only works if it's told out of order. And what do we get? Nominated for a crap ton of awards is, you know, a hugely successful movie. And if they had listened to the, uh, the, the test market, it might have ended up just being another, you know, crime drama. It may not, you know, it may not have done as well. Um, for some reason, audiences can't seem to comprehend, or I should say test audiences, can't seem to comprehend movies that are told out of order. They didn't like Memento. They didn't like Pulp Fiction. There's a couple of other movies I know that uh, they had problems with the test audiences. I know Seven was too violent. 
they wanted um, spoiler. <laughs> they wanted uh, Gwyneth Paltrow to be alive, and like uh, so. The dog's head, right? I think. I think yeah, I think it was a dog's head, and and like it was just ridiculous, and I don't understand why they'll put so much uh, like thought you know they'll, they'll they'll agree with this oh uh empire records which was a, a video that i did um they did um they they put it the movie was basically aimed at a teenage audience they had a test screening with a teenage audience and the teenage audience loved it for some reason they decided to do another test screening and they put it the, they put the movie in front of a um an audience of people, of older people, of middle-aged people, and whatnot. Audience hated it. So what did they do? They sided with the second test audience and ridiculously cut the movie and released uh, not what the director had in mind. And I, it baffles me. Okay, you're making it. You're making this movie for this specific audience. This specific audience loves it. This specific audience has no interest in your movie whatsoever, and they hated it. And a lot of times, it's they're trying to change the movie to appeal to the audience that doesn't care because they think that that's going to get them to see the movie. <laughs> and it's so wrong. It's like this is not intended for them. You're not anything that you do is not going to bring them into this movie, and consequently, it didn't, and it ended up flopping miserably. And it's like, what was it like? My, my sisters were the age demographic for Empire Records, so I saw it with them at a young age. And I'm, it's obviously the, the, the theatrical cut, which is, what, 40 minutes shorter than the original um, intention in, in the original cut? Yeah, they cut uh, 40, I think it was 41 minutes out of, out of it. Oh, and they, oh, and they also, they rearranged a lot of scenes. So certain scenes were taking place uh, out of order. Right. And it's something that I, I was, I listened to, I, I have uh, Kevin Smith's uh, audio uh, biography, like tough shit. And I, I have a physical copy and an audio copy. And I listen to his audio version, like at work all the time. And he's, he was talking about like when he was working with the wine scenes and stuff like that. And, and how he says like, Oh, my audience is coming to see this movie. And he would always get this condescending look saying your audience is already coming. We're looking for beyond that. We're trying to get as many people in there, which from a financial standpoint, I get. You want to make as much money possible on the product. Understandable. However, if it's something that's for a niche market and a niche audience, why not, why not play to that? You know you're going to get those people, and they're probably going to come back for repeat viewings. It's something that seems to be fundamentally wrong with that thinking and, like you said, baffles the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's frustrating. I don't understand that. You know, instead of appealing to that core audience and making it, you know, better, so to speak, they're trying to appeal to this tangent, you know, this group that they see out there. It's like when uh, they'll they'll add different. Like, like the, they'll uh, add a baby to a sitcom or something, you know. Uh, well, you know, uh, the show's getting stale. Well, what can we do to spice things up? Let's add a kid, you know. <laughs> and, just, and, then, and then the show really tanks. So I, I, yeah, I don't understand their, their mindset. Because the thing is, they make the mistake time and time again, and yet they continue to make them. It seems like they're, cha- they're chasing a never-ending dragon. It's just like, it's like, oh... 
I'm almost going to get there. We're going to get there. No, you're never going to because you're you're changing the like the the core reason why this product, this story is being told for an audience who just simply does not care and it just makes no sense. Um, since we brought up Tarantino a few times before, what are your feelings on him as a filmmaker? Do you feel he deserves the praise or do you think he's a little played out? I love Tarantino. Um, I really, really enjoy his movies. They're, uh, uh, I, I think that um, occasionally they get a little self-indulgent, but it's his right. You know, he's he's making the movie that he wants to make. He's one of the last. Well, I don't want to say last, but one of the few directors out there that really gets to make the movie that he wants to make consistently. And uh, I think that uh, and the the work speaks for itself. I mean, every time a new movie comes out that's Tarantino, it's a big deal. You know, it's the the you know the eighth movie by Quentin Tarantino, and and uh, it always ends up getting a lot of uh, uh, acknowledgement from people within the industry. It ends up winning awards. It ends up just getting uh, a, a ton of attention from pretty much everybody. So. Uh, I think that his movies are almost like event films because he doesn't make them very often. But when he does, it's a big deal. So uh, I know he borrows a lot from various cinema. He takes a lot from, uh, uh, you know, from exploitation films and a lot of Japanese stuff. And uh, but uh, it, it it never comes across, with the exception of uh, I think it's City on Fire, which was uh, um, Reservoir Dogs. If that one is a, a tad, um, I don't want to say borrowed, but it's a little, it's a little more borrowed than some of his other stuff. But uh, I, I kind of chalk that up to uh, he was just starting out, and uh, the, he's grown so much since then, and he does put a lot of influence in from other movies that maybe wouldn't get people's attention. Uh, but he obviously loves movies, and he loves what he does, and you can tell. And uh, I, I really dig the guy's stuff. And uh, he loves the chat, which uh, I appreciate. I wish he did more commentaries because they would be really interesting to look to, uh, listen to. But uh, he doesn't really like to do them, which it, to me is, is baffling. Like Somebody who loves to talk about movies as much as he does that doesn't like to do commentaries, it's just it's a head scratcher. Yeah, it, it's almost like it's true romance, I think – one of the kind, like, um, from Dust Till Dawn, like, those are the ones, like, he's done, like, that he's officially been a part of, then he did, like, The Hot Fuzz with Edgar Wright, which pretty much is, is them ranting on, like, different movies that they really enjoy, it really has no relation, or if there's, it's a very distant relation to the content being shown, and the reason why I asked that is because I, I got a chance to see The Hateful Eight during the roadshow, that I got a chance to see it on 70mm film, and it was a big event. It was just like, like, all right, I know my girlfriend and I, we paid extra to go see it. I'm like, okay, let's see how many people show up in the theater. And it was a packed house. And I'm like, really? I was genuinely surprised by that. The reason why I bring up, like, if it's, if you have any negativity towards them, because there are things I've noticed with his latter half of his career, since he has no real editor of his, con of his movies, that it seems like, Oh, I can pretty much write anything and people will come to see it, which I think is a problem. That's why in Glorious Bastards, like I enjoy the performances and such, 
But I think that's his weakest movie because it's just it was marketed as a war film. Like I was expecting saving more at least more saving part Ryan and less of a Tarantino movie and I got a traditional Tarantino movie and I'm like, Alright, that's okay and the movie's not really about the bastards themselves and I'm like, Well, okay. Uh, if Christoph Waltz's performance was not interesting enough, I probably would probably not like the movie at all. However, just some kind of magic there that I really enjoy. Um, since I brought up the 70 millimeter um, showcase, your feelings on film versus digital as a film uh, capture medium? Oh, that's it's tough because. Um... I, I work. Uh, I've worked on a lot of uh, my friends' productions, and uh, you know we've done things digitally. And you can do a lot with digital that you couldn't do with film. Uh, I think that um, digital eventually is is pretty much going to. I mean, it's it already pretty much has taken over. But just the ease of use and the uh, this. There's so much that you can do on digital that you couldn't do on film. Like, um, I remember in the 90s looking to buy film. Uh, it was just ridiculously expensive. And you don't have the... Uh, you don't have the freedom that you do with digital. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I see the pros and cons of both ways. If you are a very experienced filmmaker and you can work with film, then I think, you know, continue to use film. But um, if you want the flexibility and the, and the, uh, uh, the ability to be able to, like, shoot things on the fly, like, there are a lot of... Um, there was a... Uh, commentary I was listening to uh, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head but uh, they were talking about how it was one of the first movies that uh, they did as an experiment on digital and they just were in love with it because uh, you know they shot the footage that they wanted but then they uh, they you know did a few different takes and they were able to continue filming uh, because you know with with digital, it doesn't matter. You know, it's with filming, you're kind of on a finite restriction. All right, well, we've only we got these many reels for today's shoot, and with this, it's like, all right, well, we can we still have a lot we can do. You know, we're we're under time. Let's film some more takes and do some more stuff, and and it gave them a lot more flexibility. And there was a director who um, was very dyed in the wool uh, film fan who now has transitioned over to doing things digitally. And uh, I think that um, digital now is not the way that it used to be. Like, you can take digital footage and make it look like film. Uh, you just have to have the right people working on it to uh, do things properly and to light things properly. It is a, it is a different setup and a different, um, different filters and things that you need to use, but uh, it can be done, and uh, it's being seen more and more. Unfortunately, I think when a lot of people think digital film making they think of uh like michael bay's like transformers movies and everywhere everything just is too glossy and i mean and that's really it has nothing to do with digital versus film that has to do with uh the the stylistic choices and uh just the the whatever whatever instagram filters they decided to add to it that week you know let's color grade it so everybody looks like an orange that seems like a swell idea let's go with that and it's it's one of those funny things is like film the thing you always had to worry about is if you had enough light to get an exposure digital is like all right 
this thing can handle seeing in the dark a lot better. Now, if I add a little bit of light, the one thing I have to worry about is now I don't have to clip. I'm trying not to clip the whites in the frame. That's like the, the battle you have to deal with. And it was the experience I had when I was at school. I shot things on uh, 16 millimeter film and super eight. And I do this stop motion, like kind of like the, um, not stop motion, but it was like, we had to do animation kind of like how the Monty Python animation was where it's just like people just kind of like slowly like dancing across the, f- the frame and doing something did that. And supposed to be like three minutes long, took me and my partners several hours to do realized we didn't expose it properly. We had to do it again. And it, cause I didn't have a viewfinder. I didn't know I was not capturing the film properly. And that's one of those moments I'm like, all right, film just died a little in my heart. I'll just shoot digital from now on. Hmm. And I've kind of come back to a place like if I have the time and budget to do it, I'll shoot film. However, until then, I'm just going to continue shooting digitally. Um, now, something that you kind of brought up in a lot of your videos, um, why do you think we obsessed with the post-apocalypse? post-apocalypse? Why am I or why in, in general? Well, let's we'll start with you, and then why is that idea popular elsewhere? Um, well, for for me personally, uh, why I like the post-apocalyptic movies, uh, I've just always been fascinated with that. Uh, when I was younger, I, I don't know exactly what triggered it, but uh, I, I just saw a bunch of movies with giant bugs and, and deserts and people riding motorcycles and uh, just beating the crap out of each other. And it just appealed to me. And I, I just love post-apocalyptic, just post-apocalyptic things in general, video games, books, movies, everything post-apocalyptic uh, more than likely you're going to find it in abundance here. Um, but as far as why uh, it's popular amongst movies, well, the Italian exploitation post-apocalyptic movies, they were made for one reason and one reason only, because they were cheap. And because it didn't cost anything to go, well, relatively, it didn't cost anything to go out in the middle of the desert and film a bunch of people crashing cars into each other. And, uh, you know, uh, that was the thing. They were able to crank out these movies uh, very cheaply and reap the maximum rewards for them. So that's why the post-apocalyptic genre really took off um, when Mad Max came out. Uh, Mad Max was a it was like the beginning of the apocalypse. But what happened was that movie did so well that uh, all the exploitation films did their uh, folks did their knockoffs of it. But they did it just on the cheap. All they needed was uh, somebody. They didn't even necessarily have to be an actor because they could just dub their lines in later. <laughs> and just uh, film them sword fighting or do you know sword lasers or whatever they wanted to throw into it, whatever they had the additional uh, post-production budget to throw in, and uh, they just kind of went nuts. So uh, that's why there was that big explosion of uh, those really low-budget but completely awesome uh, post-apocalyptic movies in the 80s. And it seems that, like, obviously with, like, programs like The Walking Dead and... Now, the most recent Mad Max, Mad Max Fury Road, now being, according to today, uh, nominated for Best Picture, it's something that it's part of our consciousness that doesn't seem like it's going to be going away anytime soon. And I'm happy for it because it's an interesting setting to 
to tell stories and it's something that I really enjoy. And I'm like, sure. Another post-apocalyptic story. I'll take it. Um, last few questions. And I'll let you go. Um, is there any horror films this year that you're looking forward to? Uh, hmm. You know, there is, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. If you give, <laughs> if you give me a second, let me just go to the IMDb real quick. I'll tell you. Uh, let's see what's opening soon. I know the witch I think comes out. Oh yeah. 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 I actually just, um, when I went into the theater to see, uh, the forest, which I don't recommend you do, uh, <laughs> uh, they ran a trailer for the witch and that looks amazing. I had been hearing a lot of, uh, people buzzing about it. And that looks uh, like it's going to be really good. Uh, let's see. I had hopes for Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but now they officially announced it's going to be PG-13. So, brilliant idea, guys. Make a PG-13 movie out of a zombie. Ugh. Yeah, bad idea. Yeah. Just ask World War Z if that was a smart idea or not. Oh, God. What, yeah, that was one of my... Uh, what was that, 2013, I think? That was one of my least favorite movies of that year. It, it, was, it was something that... I enjoyed the book immensely. My, my friend Ryan and I were like, let's go see and see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> and I was just like, eh, it's rather, it was just rather lame. I don't want to say lame, but it was just, just rather just like, all right, just going through the motions. I mean, the last act is my favorite part because it seems like it's the kitchen scene from Jurassic Park stretched out to a half an hour's length. And just somebody who loves suspension, I'm like, all right, that that's I, I really enjoyed that, and the like. The one thing I take out of it, I know it's it's really mean, but they like the movie starts out in Philadelphia and then it goes to Newark and they, it cuts to a, a wide like bird's eye view of what Newark is and is on fire and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, this doesn't really look like a zombie apocalypse. This just looks like Newark on any other day. <laughs> and I'm just like, and I said that to my, my friend and he, we both start laughing and everybody starts turning looking at us. I'm like, all right. Seems like we're the only ones having fun right now. I think we should stop. Um, yeah, World War Z was... Uh, well, you know why the the third act of World War Z feels completely different from the rest of the movie? Because they, did, they filmed the entire movie, and then they realized that they hated the third act. So they brought everybody back months later, and they shot an entirely different ending for the movie so that whole last part that takes place uh wherever uh you know where where he's walking through the you know the halls and he has to you know get the zombie uh you find find the zombie cure or whatever um that was completely different and nobody knows well except for the people that worked on it nobody knows what the original you know for 45 minutes was but uh apparently it was so bad that they went back and uh, and spent a good chunk of money reshooting all of that. And like the only like thing I take from the ending of that is because an actor by the name of Peter Capaldi is one of the guys who works for the World Health Organization in that movie. And in the move in the credits, he's just um, he's like Peter Capaldi played WHO doctor, and now he's currently the doctor on Doctor Who, and that was like a subtle way of like hinting, because this is before he was announced to being the doctor, like, oh, that's how like they kind of like sub, like 
the studio was like, nope, this guy's going to be the next Doctor. It would be a nice, funny way to put that in the credits. And I got a chuckle out of that. Hmm. Um, your feelings on indie film now nowadays with the avenues of video on demand, Amazon, iTunes, and et cetera? Uh, there's a lot of independent films that I, I genuinely love. Uh, although I think it's funny when you have a movie come along and it's like, you know, this was an independent film. It cost $5 million. <laughs> How is that an independent film? <laughs> like, yeah. like an indie film to me is something like The Blair Witch Project or uh, uh, Paranormal Activity, you know, that costs like, well, uh, Blair Witch was three hundred grand, and uh, Paranormal Activity was fifteen grand. Uh, you know, I mean, I could even see if you get some studio backing and you end up being like a couple million. But uh, I just I'm baffled at uh, when they're like, you know, this was a small independent production of ten million dollars. <laughs> like, that's not a small independent production. Uh, I I love uh, a lot of independent film. I'm happy that. Um, that there still is the avenue for it because that was one of the big things that was revolutionary in the 90s was we had the uh, we had the upswing of uh, all these independent filmmakers. Like if if we didn't have that rise of the indies, so to speak, we wouldn't have gotten Kevin Smith. We wouldn't have gotten Tarantino because, uh, I mean, they all came out of that uh, that thing. I mean, we had uh, Richard Stanley who is one of my favorite directors, but he unfortunately got shafted by the studio. And there's a whole documentary about that called Lost Soul, if uh, anyone cares to watch that. But um, I, I will give almost any independent film a shot. Now, uh, they're not always good. <laughs> there are some where it's like, all right, I see what they were trying to make. It didn't work, <laughs> but that's the movie that they wanted to do. So uh, I'm glad, and I hope that uh, that avenue continues to uh, be a thing. Um, any words of advice of somebody who's trying to start their a YouTube channel today? Uh, the best thing that I can tell you is to, and this is getting harder and harder to do, mm -hmm. um, be unique. Like find something that uh something that you want to do and something that you feel is different like uh even if it's like hey there's somebody out there who's doing what i want to do but i think i can do it not necessarily better but i can do it differently um then then do that you know don't just like look for what it, what's popular and then just copy that because uh there is uh, there's enough of that out there, and I think that a lot of people get um, uh, dissuaded because they'll see, okay, well, this style is popular. I'm going to just copy that, but it's not really where their heart is. And they go out and they do it, and then you know they're doing it for a few months, and they have two viewers, and then they give up. Uh, like I remember uh, a while ago. Um, there was a, a forum where people were talking about, um, you know, starting review shows and whatnot. And there was a guy who was like, okay, um, here's what my show is going to be about. Uh, I'm about to, it's going to be a time traveler who comes from the future and he goes back into the past and he's forced to review bad movies. And he, he and I have costumes and he's going over all of this stuff and what he was going to make his show about. And then all these people are like, okay, great. But like, what's the core of your show? Like, why, why are you going to do this? And it was like, well, isn't this what 
is necessary. You need to have costumes. And, you, and it's like, no, you, you don't. <laughs> you need to have like a reason for what you're talking about. Like not this whole like story. He had this whole big backstory. And I'm like, no one's going to care about any of that. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's the problem with a lot of people that fall into this. They also think that it's going to, you know, if they, if they emulate some of the bigger folks, if they emulate uh, Nostalgia Critic or Angry Video Game Nerd and they yell and scream into a webcam, that uh, they're going to be instantly popular. And they find out very quickly that that's not the case. Um, the second most important thing that I can say is to get good audio. Because even if you are saying the most brilliant thing that has ever been said in front of a microphone, if your audio sucks, no one's going to listen to you. So make sure, put a little bit of research and a couple of bucks into something besides the microphone on your webcam. There's been so many shows where it's just them talking to a webcam and it's just webcam audio and it's terrible. Like, it's so bad. And it's a shame because, you know, you want to tell people, like, uh, all right, you know, uh, um, a, a good microphone to start off is not that expensive. And no. just put, put the extra bucks into it and, uh, and you will get a lot more out of it. It's one of, those, uh, like one of the books I have on indie filmmaking. It's people will, like, if you're making a movie, they'll forgive bad lighting and maybe like the picture quality is not the greatest. They'll forgive that if the audio is good. I mean, same thing like Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity. Sure, it may not look like the most professional movie ever, but you can tell exactly what the people are saying and what environment they're in. However, if you, tur you turn that around, most gorgeous looking movie, audio shit, nobody's going to care. Yeah, because then you can't hear what's going on. <laughs> it's it, you. You think it's one of those, and it's something that I had to learn through experience. But is you 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 imagine like, oh, that should just be common sense for everybody, but it's not, sadly. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a a lot of things that you think would be common sense, but unfortunately, it's not. I mean, I I I I don't understand why. Um, it, just people won't put that little bit of effort because then it's like, look, uh, you need to give people a reason to watch and listen to what you have to say. It, it was uh, like a few episodes ago, like like I was borrowing a friend of mine's like external recorder that we used to uh, shoot all of our short films. I had to give it back because he had to use it for something else. And we're like, all right, I could theoretically just plug my microphone into the computer and use the my editing software just to record it did that, didn't realize there was a problem with the audio throughout the entire thing, and I'm like, it's listenable but it's not the great, and I'm like, alright, fine, uh, screw this, and immediately went online and bought myself my own external recorder, and then and it's been the happiest money I ever spent, because ever since then, no problems, and I'm completely satisfied whenever I'm putting out. Um, last question. If you can choose... Some of your favorite metal albums that you listen to regularly. Oh, just what? Some of my favorite metal albums? 
Yeah, yeah, I know. It's I know. It's it like, yeah, should I just have a movie question? I'm like, no, it, it was something I, I I thought in the back of my head I was going to ask when we were talking about before, but uh, something like you're the ones that you listen to either be your favorite or the ones you frequent the most. Um. Well. <laughs> Uh, I got to go with uh, some of the classics uh, with uh, Master Puppets from Metallica, um, Rust in Peace from Megadeth. Um, the There's one that came out uh, not too long ago uh, from a band called Scar Symmetry uh, that uh, is just brilliant. Um, let's see. What else have I been listening to a lot? Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Camelot, um, Nightwish. Although I haven't heard the well, I really should get the new Nightwish album uh, with uh, Floor Jansen uh, after uh, after the last singer was <laughs> was kicked out. Uh, we actually saw um, my my wife and I. We went to uh, they, they were playing in uh, Philadelphia, and uh, we caught the last. Either the last or the second to last show with uh, Annette, um, but she got sick and then they fired her from the band and then they hired you know uh, so that was kind of like bittersweet that because uh, it was cool because then um, they they had a show where they didn't have a female singer so they actually ended up using um, the they had uh, Camelot had open for them and uh, they were using. Uh, one of the female singers from uh, who was an extra from Camelot who like ended up being their female singer for the night, and it was kind of cool because she was. They had pictures of her sitting up there, and she's holding the lyric sheet, <laughs> and like she's. <laughs> I was like, man, that would have been like. Apparently, I saw some videos on YouTube, and it looked like it was like a a very impromptu fun show, and uh, I was like, that would have been really interesting to see, but it was kind of cool in a way to see the last show with the net but anyway i'm, I'm rambling um the uh seventh son of a seventh son from iron maiden uh god i'm trying to think of some more obscure i, I know things. it's a random question i threw at you uh, with like drop the hat i apologize for that no it's okay i'm just like i'm trying to envision like my playlist in my head right now and unfortunately all that's coming up because i've been listening to a lot of uh just like mellow stuff I, I kind of you know ebb and flow as far as uh going back to to metal although i i always end up going back there uh uh oh king diamond i love king diamond actually wish he the the night that he came to uh to fill normally he only ever plays uh your uh, like england and stuff because you know why are you going to come to the u.s and play for like 10 people when you can go out there and play for like seventy thousand people so uh he was actually playing in the u.s and it was uh somewhere close by i don't think it was terribly far but we had like something planned that evening that we couldn't get out of i was so annoyed it's like the fir- <laughs> first time he had been here in, in ever um it's one of those things that like you were mentioned with nightwish it seems like power metal bands go through singers relatively quickly comparison to other bands i don't know what it is i don't know if it's like that it's like nightwish or xandrea or i don't know it just seems like to shuffle people in and out rather quickly i don't know what that weird trend is yeah, they they do. It's it's odd. Like you'll you'll see 
uh, a band and you're like, oh, okay, uh, you know, here's uh, this uh, band called Tessera, which I was just listening to. Uh, and then uh, I'm reading the comments and like, oh, it sucks that uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the singer, but blah, blah, blah left. And it's like, God damn, you know, like, mm-hmm. like you're saying, they, they really do tend to, to go through or you'll see um, the, the singer shuffle where, uh, you know, this singer will be uh, singing with uh, uh, Cradle of Filth and then she'll be singing with this other band and then she quits there and goes to another band because, uh, uh, what was that, Liv, Liv Christine has been in, what, like 20 different bands? <laughs> like, yeah, something ridiculous like that. Mm-hmm. And then you have, like, like <clears throat> oh, I'm going to see Exodus tonight. Who's singing? I don't know. Is it Zetro or Rob Dukes? I don't know. We'll see when we get there. And it's just, like, one of the, like, it's just, Ridiculous! Like, all right, who's playing drums for a Slayer right now? Is is Lombardo in the band? No. All right, uh, is Paul Bostuff? I think so. All right, well, we'll go with that. <laughs> it's just one of those strange things you don't know. Like when I saw I saw Testament in Exodus uh, uh, last year, and I thought I didn't know Steve DiGiorgio was still playing bass, was back playing bass with Testament, and when they got there, I'm like, he gets on stage, and I, I said to myself, like, you're not Greg Christian. What are you doing here? And I, I, I leaned over to my buddy Mike. I'm like, is that Steve Trivia? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, do you know he's going to be here? Nope. <laughs> All right. Let's, well, and then they jumped into their first song. I'm like, All right, it doesn't matter to me. It was just one of those things that, funny things about metal that always revolve your musicians depending on the band. Yeah, definitely. I know this is just everybody's listening to this and dealing with my rambling. Now, if you, if you, if you, if you want to follow me on social media, where can they, where find, they find you? Uh, you can find me uh, at uh, Good Bad Flicks on Twitter. And then uh, if you look up Good Bad Flicks on Facebook, uh, you should be able to find me on there as well. Uh, I think <laughs> I'd give out the thing, but it's one of those like, Good Bad Flicks, one, three, two, nine. <laughs> and, <you know. laughs> Excuse, Excuse me, I'm waiting for the link to provide my audio podcast, and I could not find it. This is terrible. Unsubscribe. Sorry, sorry. Is there anywhere else you want to see them too? Um. Uh, what, wait, what was that again? I'm sorry. Is there anywhere else you want to see them too? Um, if you want to, uh, if you want to check out, uh, like, I mean, my website's goodbadflicks.com. That's, uh, F-L-I-C-K-X, or, ugh, now I'm not even spelling it right. Uh, <laughs> flicks, uh, F-L-I-C-K-S, not, uh, X, because a lot of people are like, I looked up Good Bad Flicks, F-L-I-X. And I'm like, no, it's not that. It's actually spelled out correctly. Um. <laughs> You can go there. Uh, usually, the stuff that you'll find on my website, for the most part, is what you'll find on my YouTube channel. Um, but uh, occasionally, um, I'll do uh, like polls, and I put some different stuff up on my website. But it's usually, uh, you know, just it's, you know, it's convenient. I know a lot of people really don't like to have too many websites. That's why they kind of gravitate towards uh, YouTube. Uh, you can also uh, check out. Uh, my work at uh, The Escapist at uh, escapistmagazine.com. Mondays at noon, they put up uh, new episodes and then uh, they run there for a week and then a a week later, that episode pops on YouTube at uh, 1 o'clock 
and then uh, a new episode goes up on uh, the Escapist there. So uh, if you end up liking my stuff and you want to see it faster, you can go there and you'll see it quicker. Awesome. And if anybody wants to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at TimothyRooney2, my Instagram at TRooney1012, Facebook page and YouTube page under Through the Lens Productions. And obviously follow this <coughs> podcast on SoundCloud.com. Cecil, thank you so much for taking part of this interview. I really, I was like really excited to do this. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. I hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast, and there'll be more podcasts about geek and pop culture coming at you very soon. Hope everybody enjoyed the show, and we'll talk to you soon.